Greetings, everyone. I'm Vicki Vesclica, Director of the Clinical Specialist and Scientist section here at ASHP, and thanks for joining. I'm excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature from the exceptional programming from the 2021 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, best practices, and leadership advice at the world's largest gathering of pharmacists. Going to be talking about gabapentin, addressing the question is gabapentin a good agent for pain in opioid sparing multimodal pain regimens, or is it a wolf in sheep's clothing? I am going to be taking the side that gabapentin is a good agent for pain in opioid sparing multimodal pain regimens. When opioids are combined with non opioids, this lowers opioid exposure without compromising pain relief. At the same time, the adverse effects of opioids are reduced. These adverse effects include constipation, nausea, respiratory depression, cognitive impairment, dependence, and even overdose-related death. At the same time, there is no compromise in pain relief. The mechanism by which gabapentin relieves pain is by inhibiting the release of excitatory mediators. These include substance P and calcitonin gene-related peptide with blockade of N-type calcium channels. This article published the results of a randomized clinical trial of 422 patients undergoing a variety of operations to answer the question, what is the effect of perioperative gabapentin on remote pain resolution and opioid cessation after surgery? The determining the sample of participants to be analyzed is a crucial step in reporting clinical trials. For such analyses, the gold standard is the intention to treat principle. This was an ITT trial, and that was what was used in this study. This was a randomized clinical trial on the effect of perioperative gabapentin on postoperative pain resolution and opioid cessation in a mixed surgical cohort. The data can be found at clinicaltrials.gov slash NCT 01067144. It was published in JAMA Surge in April of 2018. Among their conclusions is this statement, quote, the routine use of perioperative gabapentin may be warranted to promote opioid cessation and prevent chronic opioid use, end of quote. Analysis demonstrates that in this trial, time to pain cessation was not clinically significant. No significant differences were noted in the number of adverse events or the rate of medication discontinuation due to sedation or dizziness. However, there was a 24% increase in the rate of opioid cessation after surgery. This next study, published in the Journal of the American Pharmacist Association in May, had as its objective, quote, to determine the effects of gabapentin on opioid consumption and pain perception in patients who underwent lumbar laminectomy at a rural community hospital end of quote. The background rationale for this study included post-operative pain management solely with opioids elevates the risk of opioid-related adverse events during hospitalization and after discharge from the hospital. Morphine milligram equivalents provided to patients in the gabapentin arm were reduced in the intervals 0 to 6 hours, 6 to 12 hours, 18 to 24 hours, and overall for the 24-hour total. Post-op numeric rating pain scale scores were lower during all intervals in the gabapentin arm. Patients were divided into two groups, those who were taking gabapentin as outpatients before surgery and were continued on the same dose postoperatively, 
N equals 50. And those who were not taking gabapentin as outpatients and did not receive gabapentin as inpatients postoperatively, N equals 49. A limitation in this study is the low number of patients. They concluded that patients who were taking gabapentin at baseline and continued using it postoperatively showed reductions in pain perception and in the amount of opioids consumed. There was no difference in the length of hospital stay. The results portion of the article includes post hoc analyses showed that opioid consumption in MME was significantly lower in the gabapentin group than in the usual treatment group for the first six hours postoperatively. The pain scores were significantly lower in the gabapentin group than in the usual treatment group across all time periods. Knee Surgery, Sports, Traumatology, Arthroscopy, published in July 2019, an article entitled Increased Postoperative Dexamethasone and Gabapentin Reduces Opioid Consumption After Total Knee Arthroplasty. The authors compared opioid consumption within 24 hours and cumulative consumption over 72 hours in patients who received either 4 milligrams of dexamethasone daily for two days 600 milligrams of gabapentin daily for a week, or 10 milligrams of dexamethasone daily for two days with 300 milligrams of gabapentin every eight hours for one week. A total of 186 patients who received TKA between November 29th, 2016 and June 9th, 2017 were screened. After excluding some patients, they were left with 80 patients in each group. They concluded that increased Postoperative administration of dexamethasone and gabapentin after TKA is associated with lower opioid consumption. A limitation to this study is dexamethasone doses were also increased with the higher gabapentin doses. They found that within the first 48 hours, up to about 25% of opioids can be spared comparing the high dose to the low dose protocol. Opioid consumption was significantly reduced over 24, 48, and 72 hours. This meta-analysis in Journal of Pain Research reviewed the impact of postoperative gabapentin consumption on postoperative opioid consumption. The final analysis included 1,793 patients in 17 randomized control trials. This display shows gabapentin was favored over the control in the vast majority of the trials reviewed and overall. They concluded that preoperative gabapentin reduced opioid consumption, postoperative gabapentin reduced opioid consumption, and that gabapentin is an effective analgesic adjunct, and clinicians should consider its use in multimodal treatment plans among patients undergoing elective surgery. There was significantly increased somnolence in the gabapentin group, and in that same group, significantly decreased cumulative opioid consumption. These three societies, the American Pain Society, the American Society of Regional Anesthesia and Pain Medicine, and the American Society of Anesthesiologists Committee on Regional Anesthesia did a systematic review and guideline development for the management of postoperative pain and published Management of Postoperative Pain, a clinical practice guideline in the Journal of Pain. To develop the guideline, investigators reviewed more than 6,500 abstracts published between 1992 and December of 2015. The guideline committee also considered reference lists of relevant articles, including 107 systematic reviews and 858 primary studies not included in the systematic reviews and suggestions from expert reviewers. The stated goal of the resulting guideline is, quote, to promote evidence-based, effective, 
and safer post-operative pain management in children and adults. They made 32 recommendations. Among them, the panel recommends that clinicians consider the use of gabapentin or pregabalin as a component of multimodal analgesia. This was a strong recommendation with moderate quality evidence. And they said both medications are associated with reduced opioid requirements after major or minor surgical procedures. An additional strong recommendation with a but, the guideline also indicates that although evidence of effectiveness of gabapentin or pregabalin in children is limited, some randomized trials found beneficial effects of preoperative gabapentin on postoperative pain and opioid use. The key takeaways, number one, perioperative gabapentin reduces opioid consumption postoperatively. Number two, perioperative gabapentin reduces postoperative pain scores. And number three, the routine use of perioperative gabapentin may be warranted to promote opioid cessation and prevent chronic opioid use. Inadequately controlled postoperative pain is well known to impede functional recovery and reduce quality of life. Several studies of postoperative pain further suggest an association between the intensity of pain following various types of surgery and the subsequent development of chronic pain. Gabapentin, as a component of multimodal analgesia, will reduce opioid requirements and pain intensity postoperatively. As a result, function recovery and quality of life will be improved and it will be less likely for chronic pain to develop. Hello, my name is Charity. A little bit about my clinical background. I graduated from my PGY2 in pain management and palliative care in 2015 from UC Davis Medical Center. Then afterwards, stayed on as a pain management pharmacist and have been in Sacramento ever since. For this part of the debate, we will discuss why gabapentin is indeed a wolf in sheep's clothing. Here's a roadmap for our discussion. We will start with a self-assessment, review what literature says about gabapentin's ability to reduce post-operative opioid consumption, gabapentin's impact on acute pain, chronic low back pain, risks associated with gabapentin abuse, misuse, and diversion. Then we will work through a patient case, which will lead us into rebuttals prior to crossing the finish line. When looking at gabapentin's impact on reducing post-operative opioids, it is really relative to the other analgesics on board. And studies that look at adding gabapentin to only opioids showed some decrease in opioid consumption. However, studies that looked at adding gabapentin to opioids in combination with acetaminophen and NSAIDs demonstrate an insignificant decrease in opioids. So what is the takeaway? The takeaway is literature supports the opioid sparing effects of gabapentin may be negated when added to multimodal standard of care versus gabapentin plus opioids. There's mixed data in regards to gabapentin's ability to reduce post-operative opioid consumption. If we look at studies that were deemed low risk of bias, we see that the addition of gabapentin to opioids reduces the 24-hour oral morphine equivalence by approximately 3 milligrams, whereas the addition of gabapentin to multimodal pain regimen reduces the 24-hour opioid consumption by approximately 1 milligram of morphine. When starting a new medication, one must ask themselves, one, what is the true clinical impact? And two, do the benefits outweigh the risks? 
When gabapentin is added to acetaminophen and NSAIDs for post-operative pain management, literature supports gabapentin's clinical impact is minimal, if any. Data also supports the risk of side effects, abuse, misuse, and diversion likely outweighs the potential benefits in this situation. When you go back to your clinical practice, ask yourself, how does the literature on gabapentin apply to your patient population? Now we will discuss gabapentin for acute pain management. There is mixed data regarding gabapentin's use of acute postoperative pain management. Most data favoring gabapentin are older studies with poor study designs and a high risk of bias. Therefore, for this section of the debate, we will focus on more recent data with a low risk of bias. When looking at studies with a low risk of bias, gabapentin did not reduce postoperative pain at rest or with mobilization 24 hours after surgery. There were twice as many adverse events reported when compared to studies with either an unclear or high risk of bias. And gabapentin increases the risk for opioid-induced respiratory depression and oversedation. There was a subsequent meta-analysis that concluded side effects may have been underestimated due to only following up with patients 24 hours after surgery and not capturing side effects that may have occurred 24 hours post-op. Now we will talk about gabapentin for chronic low back pain. Studies that compare gabapentin to placebo for the management of chronic low back pain with and without radiating pain found that there was no difference in pain reduction between the gabapentin and placebo arms. Not only does data support gabapentin is ineffective for chronic low back pain, data also supports gabapentin increases the risk of side effects, including dizziness, fatigue, difficulties with mentation, and visual disturbances. It is important to use gabapentin with caution given the significant risk of adverse events, associated costs, and minimal improvement in pain for selected patient populations. As with any medications, the benefits should outweigh the risks. Earlier studies perceived gabapentin to have a minimal abuse liability. However, now there is a growing concern that gabapentin may lead to patient harm. This is an area that is understudied and underreported. The national rates of gabapentin diversion over a 14-year period were found to be comparable to that of OxyContin in 2015. Patients report using gabapentin to self-medicate for anxiety, pain, and substance withdrawal. Gabapentin has been reported as stolen and as a drug-seeking substance. Medical providers have reported patients asking for early refills of gabapentin and doctor shopping for gabapentin. The street value of gabapentin is $1 to $10 per pill, depending on location. Patients have reported using gabapentin recreationally to experience a host of sensations, including dissociation, disinhibition, euphoria, sedation, relaxation, calmness, elevated mood, and feeling high or intoxicated. This slide shows additional stats for gabapentin abuse, misuse, and diversion. Around 30% of first-time gabapentin misuse was done to seek synergistic effects with another drug such as opioids, 
benzodiazepines, and cocaine. And to specifically experience, potentiate, and increase the duration of highs. Among non-medical opioid users, over a six-year period, there was a 250% increase in gabapentin misused for the purpose of getting high. Over a three-year span, 47% of DUI-related driver fatalities involved gabapentin. Currently, there is not a standardization of practice in forensic toxicology for which drugs are screened for during investigations for drug-related fatalities. Due to lack of screening for gabapentin, post-mortem data suggests the presence of gabapentin may be underestimated by approximately 58%. In 2014, Kentucky added gabapentin to routine toxicology testing, increasing identification of gabapentin and overdose fatalities from approximately 3% in 2013 to 34% in 2014. Evidence suggests toxicology panels may lack testing for gabapentin. If a drug is not analyzed for, it will not be found and it will be underestimated. Patients have reported using and misusing gabapentin in lieu of opioids prior to drug screens, knowing that gabapentin would not show up on their toxicology panel. Patients with a history of substance use disorder are at a higher risk for gabapentin abuse, misuse, and diversion. We want to make sure we are using gabapentin with caution in this patient population and monitoring for any signs of misuse. Williams et al. said it best. Looking to solve addiction and abuse potential is very complicated, but there's strong evidence suggesting that overprescribing gabapentinoids in lieu of opioids is not a sufficient alternative. Now we will go into a case study. So we have a 76-year-old male who has status post right knee arthroplasty with a history of heroin abuse, hypertension, obesity, and OSA. The patient reports he does not wear his CPAP machine because it is uncomfortable. His labs and vitals are within normal limits. He has no known drug allergies. And prior to hospitalization, he denies opioid use. Therefore, this patient is opioid naive and not opioid tolerant. His perioperative pain regimen includes acetaminophen, catorolac, peripheral nerve block, and PRN oxycodone. This brings us to the question, is this patient a good candidate for gabapentin? His age, obesity, OSA, and non-compliance with CPAP increases this patient's risk for opioid-induced respiratory depression and over-sedation. The addition of gabapentin would further increase this risk. His history of heroin use increases risk of gabapentin abuse, misuse, and diversion. The risk of gabapentin for this patient outweighs the potential benefits. So what are the key takeaways from this portion of the debate? First, the addition of gabapentin to multimodal pain regimens for acute postoperative pain does not significantly reduce opioid consumption. Gabapentin increases the risk of opioid-induced respiratory depression and over-sedation. Gabapentin is ineffective for providing pain relief for chronic low back pain. Gabapentin increases the risk for abuse, misuse, and diversion. Gabapentin potentiates and increases the duration of highs when given with other substances such as opioids, benzodiazepines, and cocaine. Gabapentin is not captured on many toxicology panels leading to underreporting of use. Thank you, Charity.
I'd like to respond to what you've had to say. A randomized clinical trial on the effect of perioperative gabapentin on postoperative pain resolution and opioid cessation in a mixed circuit cohort concluded the routine use of perioperative gabapentin may be warranted to promote opioid cessation and prevent chronic opioid use. It found that there was a 24% increase in the rate of opioid cessation at surgery. A risk-benefit analysis of the material available on the use of gabapentin and opioid sparing therapy does weigh the risk and benefits of gabapentin alone against the risk and benefits of opioid sparing. The effects of gabapentin on opioid consumption and pain perception in patients who underwent lumbar laminectomy at a rural community hospital were that the patients who were taking gabapentin at baseline and continued using it postoperatively showed reductions in pain perception and in the amounts of opioids consumed. Post-hoc analyses showed that opioid consumption and morphine milligram equivalents was significantly lower in the gabapentin group and in the usual treatment group for the first six hours postoperatively, and the pain scores were significantly lower in the gabapentin group than in the usual treatment group across all time periods. Increased postoperative administration of dexamethasone and gabapentin after total knee arthroplasty is associated with lower opioid consumption. Within the first 48 hours, up to about 25% of opioids can be spared, comparing high-dose to low-dose protocols. Opioid consumption was significantly reduced over 24, 48, and 72 hours. A meta-analysis of 1,793 patients in 17 randomized controlled trials concluded that preoperative gabapentin reduced postoperative opioid consumption, postoperative gabapentin reduced opioid consumption, and that gabapentin is an effective analgesic adjunct that should be considered in multimodal treatment plans among patients undergoing elective surgery. Multi-pain societies have published guidelines indicating that gabapentin as a component of multimodal analgesia will reduce opioid requirements, pain intensity postoperatively. As a result, function recovery and quality of life will be improved, and it will be less likely for chronic pain to develop. When opioids are combined with non-opioids, including gabapentin, this lowers opioid exposure without compromising pain relief. At the same time, the adverse effects of opioids are reduced. These adverse effects include constipation, nausea, respiratory depression, cognitive impairment, dependence, and even overdose-related death. At the same time, there is no compromise in pain relief. The use of gabapentin perioperatively also reduces hospital length of stay. This reduces the risk of hospital-acquired infection, but that is a topic for another debate. Gabapentin is a wolf in sheep's Here's the rebuttal roadmap. We will first review content by the pro-gabapentin side, then discuss flaws and considerations, then finally race across the finish line. First, we'll examine the study by Ha et al. that looks at the effect of perioperative gabapentin on post-operative pain resolution and opioid cessation. This study supports gabapentin decreases consciousness, increases PACU stays, and increases the risk of opioid-induced respiratory depression. When we take a deeper dive into the study, in the placebo arm, we see opioids were discontinued on day 32 and reported pain resolution on day 73. The gabapentin arm reported opioid discontinuation on day 25 
and pain resolution on day 84. While it is true to say opioids were discontinued seven days sooner in the gabapentin arm, the patients were also in pain 18 days longer. This study was stopped early due to meeting futility for the primary endpoint of pain resolution. Now let's look at the study used to support the reduction of opioid consumption following total knee arthroplasty by Eckhart et al. Inflammatory pain is a major component of the pathophysiology of osteoarthritis and the nature of the surgery in itself. Inflammatory pain responds well to anti-inflammatory agents such as NSAIDs and steroids. This study evaluated the change in opioid consumption after dose escalation of both gabapentin and dexamethasone. With this being said, it is difficult to deduce gabapentin's impact, if any, on the reduction of opioid consumption, considering the concomitant use of a highly potent anti-inflammatory agent used in the presence of inflammatory pain. We will now take a look at the meta-analysis labeled, the use of preoperative gabapentin significantly reduces postoperative opioid consumption. This study suggested that gabapentin significantly reduced opioid consumption 24 hours after surgery. However, when we take a deeper dive, we see opioids were only reduced by approximately 6 milligrams of oral morphine, however, increased sedation by approximately 30%. The next study evaluated opioid consumption following radiation and chemotherapy for head and neck squamous cell cancer. The first study arm received hydrocodone plus 2,700 milligrams of gabapentin per day with some patients advancing to fentanyl patches. The second study arm received hydrocodone plus 900 milligrams of gabapentin a day with some patients advancing to methadone. When we look at study limitations, this study was indirect regarding an opioid titration timeline. It was unclear if patients were opioid tolerant or opioid naive upon fentanyl patch initiation. And since methadone has NMDA antagonistic properties, it cannot be reasonably compared with fentanyl. This wraps up the portion of this debate. Thanks so much for listening in today. Be sure to follow us at ASHB Official wherever you listen to your podcasts and check back soon to hear more featurettes from the 2021 ASHB Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Until then, this is Vicki Basiliga from ASHB Official, and thank you for all you do for your patients.